Hey, turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9. As you're turning there, do me a huge favor real quick. Please welcome all of those who've joined us live via Facebook online. Come on, like you really mean it this morning for the Eunice Correctional Facilities, our brothers and sisters in Christ down there. We love you guys. Wish you a Merry Christmas as well. We have an objective in this series. Um, the objective in this series is to have a healthy mentality, a healthy mindset to this Christmas season. We want to clearly define what Christmas is, even with our Grinch presentation. It's not how the Grinch stole Christmas this year, it's how Christmas saved the Grinch. And in light of uh, football games and travel and everything that's going on, I want to give you the... the uh, announcement here. Make sure you know Friday night we have canceled our presentation that Friday night of how Christmas saved the Grinch, but we will be right back up and rolling Saturday night and Sunday night. We've had a lot of people put in a lot of time and effort. Man, that thing did not paint itself. We had some people in-house that built all of our set and several pieces that are behind. We're staying after this service to decorate for so it's for Friday night is canceled, but we're right back up and running Saturday and Sunday. So please, if you know uh, elementary age, lower or above, that may be interested in seeing this presentation, it's going to be a great presentation with a lot of investment. So bring them back with you next Saturday night and Sunday night uh, and ready for that presentation. I want to make this statement as we take off this morning. Hear me, hear me clearly. You're going to have to hear my heart today. Today or, or I may confuse you before you leave. This is the statement that I want to make in, in regards to this time of year and Christmas. And this is the statement, this is hopefully the heart that you have, okay? We will not win people that we're fighting with, okay? When you fight, you fight to win, right? Okay. So if you fight to win and you're fighting and you win, what happens to the person you're fighting with? They lose. Our objective in this season is not to have our own agenda or fight with people that do not have our agenda. You will not, we will not win people we are fighting with, okay? And so in saying that, I want to make this statement that people who disagree with us in general, but specifically in regards to our faith, people who disagree with us are not an offense to our faith. They're not an offense to our faith. Watch this. People who disagree with us are an opportunity for our faith, they're not an offense. They're not evil. They're not our enemy. They're an opportunity for us to be the light, for us to be the example, for us to be the ones that have our faith and use our faith and our works together to win them on behalf of what we believe. So they're not an offense to us. They're an opportunity for our faith. And, and if we're not careful, and, and especially, and I know this because I was very good at this, and this is not a good thing, but specifically when I really began to discover Christ on my own, uh, I became so zealous that I had a tendency to sever relationships unnecessarily. 
I became so excited that I was a little bit excessively emotional to the point where I began to damage others. And actually, instead of drawing them closer to Jesus, I began to unintentionally push people further away from Jesus. Why? Here's why I think, okay? I think for me, I was actually better at fighting for my faith than I was exemplifying it. In other words, I, I was better at, at accusing okay, than I was uh, accepting responsibility for myself. And I had to be careful. And, and unfortunately, I taught myself through a lot of painful lessons in the relationships of other people's lives, a valuable lesson, that if I'll just live it out, God doesn't need me to defend him. In fact, I'm not fighting for victory in conversations. All I simply have to do as a believer in Jesus is I have to stand in the victory that's already been won for me. Okay, so I'm just an example of who he is. What is this time of year all about? I believe that this entire season can be summed up in one scripture. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. This is a very common Christmas scripture. I believe it was actually even with a few more verses, our series scripture last year. And it may be again next year. Here's what it says. For unto us a child is born. A son is given, and the government will rest on his shoulders. I love what Isaiah the prophet does here. And it's only by the Holy Spirit that he would have been able to make such a statement. Unto us a child is born. So he prophesied that the Messiah would come. And that that Messiah would be a son of God. Unto us a child is born and a son is given. Now, looking back from our perspective, we see in retrospect that that was Jesus. That was the king has come, okay? And then the very next statement, he does not just prophesy that the child will be born and the earth will be given the son of God, but he prophesies not just that he came, but that he's coming back. And the government will rest upon his shoulders. Here's what Isaiah is saying. You don't have to fight for victory. You have to stand in victory. You don't have to try to fight the battle on your own. You get to stand in the victory that has already been won for you. In the name of Jesus, the government will rest upon his shoulders and he will be called. He will be called. Watch this. Wonderful. Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So here's what that means for me. You with me? That means that my mentality is not that of a victim that has to fight for his rights, especially when it comes to Christmas. But we get to bumper stickers, pull out our t-shirts, get to getting angry at people over this time of year. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. That's what we <laughs> Listen, you don't have to be that way. You don't, <laughs> you don't have to try to win them that way. Okay? You stand in victory because your mentality is not that of a victim. Your mentality is that of a victor. And in Christ, you can communicate the right heart 
ultimately affect your house and your habits and have influence on the people who do not agree with you. They are not an offense to your faith. They, being anyone who disagrees with your conviction, are an opportunity for. So here's what I want to ask you. In past years, has your Christmas, has this season, has it been wonderful? Has it been counseling? Has it had the presence of mighty God and everlasting Father? And has it been filled with the spirit of the Prince of Peace? If those things have not formally represented your definition of Christmas, we want to challenge that today. We want you to examine whether your Christmas truly represents who we say we believe in. Because when it does, it will represent who he says he is. Wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, not stress, not anxiety, not irritation, and not anger. I want to lay out this morning a few things, just some uh, practically weird little objects. No, practical ways that we and our family focus on Jesus. Uh, I'm not trying to offend you today. If you are anti some of these things, that's okay. I'm not trying to change your conviction. I just want to make sure that we have the right attitude in our heart in light of our convictions, whatever they may be. Let me say that again. I'm not trying to change your conviction today, okay? I'm just hoping that we will all examine the attitude of our heart in light of our convictions, okay? So as believers, if we're not careful, we have this tendency maybe to unnecessarily ostracize or sever some things that we could just redeem and use as an example. I'm going to give you some of the examples that our family uses. I'm not saying that you should do this. I'm not saying that you shouldn't. I'm just telling you what my wife and I wish someone would have communicated to us in our mid-20s so that we didn't have to learn some of these lessons on our own, sometimes at the stake of relationship with people that really were innocently just trying to be involved in our lives. So one of those things is, is this little... Uh, Elf on a shelf that everybody kind of began to do. And, and some of you are wondering, what is this creepy little doll doing sitting on my pastor's table? Uh, this is not an idol for us, for me. This is not something that we worship. This is something that we use our child's imagination, their innocent imagination, uh, to teach them about the principles of Christ. So our children, this is... We, we don't necessarily in our house teach our children that this is a real individual with eyes that is watching and, and taking notes for Santa Claus and is going to go back and report to him and, and you're going to get sticks and coal if you're a dirty, rotten, bad kid and you're going to get your good present that BB and Peppa Tim and Gran and Papa T buy you if, <laughs> if you're good and if you're not good. We don't, we don't do that that way. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not perfect persecuting you or condemning you if you do that this way. And, and certainly if you don't like this, then don't use it. But for us, we have from the very beginning, we found online a letter and then we adapted it for ourselves. And, and by we, I mean she, I just take credit. Uh, we wrote a letter. Um, we wrote a letter from Santa Claus to 
to our children that he was sending uh, Tinsel, is her name, so cute. I know, it was her idea. Uh, that he was sending tinsel, and, and this was our responsibility. So since my, my eight-year-old was three or four years old, our responsibility for tinsel was, in our house, we were going to teach her what it looked like to live for Jesus for the 21 days leading up to Christmas, or 25 days, sorry, leading up to Christmas. That's what we were gonna do in our house. And that Tinsel, we had to be very careful because Tinsel was gonna go back and tell the rest of her friends what our house looked like, and we were going to be the example that Tinsel knew because she had not truly heard the real reason for the season. Now, we started that about three or four years ago, um, and just last week, I was very impressed to hear my wife told me that our eight-year-old was sitting in the back of the vehicle with one of her friends explaining because they have an elf at school and all the kids are talking about the elf and the teachers are telling them what they tell them and I, and I don't have a problem with that truly because I've already trained my child to identify the difference between fantasy and faith and, and imagination and reality and so she sees that and her and her friend are having a discussion well I have a tinsel at our house and we teach tinsel what it looks like to live for Jesus and tinsel goes back and tells all the elves and Santa Claus what, what living for Jesus looked like in a holy and a healthy home. Now, I'm not saying that that's what you have to do. I'm just, would you, here, I gotta give you this creepy little thing. I can't focus with that thing sitting up there. Like, all right, so, look, I don't like any dolls. I'm gonna be honest. Now, listen, but what I, what I want to do, okay, now, this is how we use this little doll. And honestly, it's how we use receiving gifts. It's how we use a fictitious character. It's how we use everything that the world has possibly taken and, and used in their own way to, to promote their agenda, and we're gonna address some of that, but we take everything, including that little doll, everything that we have, everything that we receive, and everything that we give, and we point everything back to Jesus. Everything, intentionally, back to Jesus. We ask questions like, hey, what does, who does Santa Claus represent? Santa Claus represents God. And if they don't know, we go over it. Say, hey, what did God do? God so loved the world that he... Okay, so Santa Claus for us represents that God gave his only son. And the only reason you get anything at Christmas is because we are celebrating the spirit of giving that God started when he sent his son to this earth. That is our objective, right? So what we have to do, watch this. Now listen, I don't have Buddha statues and voodoo dolls at my house because there are some things that I need to ostracize and I need to sever. So I'm not trying to justify a, a, a lack of spiritual sensitivity, okay? And I'm not trying to justify having truly demonic things in your house. And I'm, we may be wrong for the way that we do it. I don't feel like we are, but our objective is to take what the world has to offer and take what our kids are going to be exposed to and teach them and train them in the ways of the Lord so that when they grow older, they will know the difference in the things that we were teaching them and the things that the world has to offer, and they will choose wisely as the Holy Spirit leads them. That is our objective. So in saying that, we have to carefully discern, carefully, carefully, not carelessly, not, not just don't worry about it. Oh, it's no big deal. That's not what I'm saying. We carefully dis discern what is evil and what is an opportunity. What is evil and could damage and be harmful 
and what we truly could redeem and use to help us in the innocence and the imagination of our children and our grandchildren and our family to point everything back to the reason that we even have this season. So let me give you a few things Christmas is not. Number one, Christmas is not fantasy. Christmas is not fantasy. So in our house, and I want to recommend that you do this in your house. I know this is really teachy today. This isn't like a throw a handkerchief at me and jump around and dance pretty and Pentecostally or whatever, whatever that looks like. Because some people dance pretty and some people dance Pentecostally, and those are not the same because I've seen some ugly Pentecostals. Anyways, uh, in our house, we, we try to do our best to intentionally define the difference between fantasy and faith. Because Christmas is not a fantasy. Okay? There are some fantasized ideas. There are some imaginative ideas. But you know what? I have never been offended by Ninja Turtles. Not one time. I have never, not one time, for me, been offended by Paw Patrol. They are not real. But guess who thinks they are? <laughs> it's a little blonde-headed dude about yay tall with his mama's attitude. I'm just saying. That's what's... It is what it is. So I take what the world is already throwing in the face of our children and do our best to redeem it and designate the difference between fantasy and faith. And those are some of the practical ways that we do that. I love what uh, Debbie and Joe Guillory, Debbie, Miss Debbie told me that uh, when we were preparing for this message, and by we, I mean us as a staff, we kind of shoot ideas off and, and think of some things that Christmas is not and think of some things that Christmas is. One of the things that they do on purpose every Christmas Eve, they're, grown, they're now grown children and their grandchildren begin to ask them to do because they have established this tradition is that every year they take a book that is a version of the Christmas story, the real Christmas story, not the one where we hear clip-clops on the roof and the ladder and such a clatter and all that stuff, but the, the real Christmas story about the one that God sent in the form of man, his only son, and they read that story as a family. Every year before we open up presents, we ask our children, hey, why are you getting that gift? Why are you receiving a gift right now? Before we give in an offering at Christmas, we ask, hey, why are we giving? Before we brought cans up here, 20 cans for different things. So I wish somebody would quit making 20 of the mark because I have bought 20 cans for several different occasions. I bought 20 cans for a pizza party at school, 20 cans for some crazy head that nobody even wears getting trampled on in the playroom at my house. I got 20 cans all over the place, but I want to make sure that my babies know why we're bringing 20 cans. It's not so that we get ahead. It's not so that we get our name on something that we gave. It's not so that we have anything that glorifies ourselves. The reason that we give is because he gave. And we designate the difference between fantasy and faith on purpose. We separate imagination, but we don't, set, we don't, we don't demonize imagination. That's not what we do, okay? We separate imagination from eternity. Because I don't want my kids to confuse Jesus and Santa Claus. I don't want my kids to confuse getting with the spirit that they should have. Christmas is not about, number two, Christmas is not about gifts. And before you sit there on your little high, holy, church seat, camouflage, flower thing, okay, <laughs> feel really good about, well, I know Christmas ain't about gifts. Let me ask you this question. 
I'm going to evaluate your heart for you right now. Don't raise your hand. How many of you have ever been offended because of a gift that you did or did not get at Christmas? Hang on, don't raise your hand, don't raise your hand. Okay, for all the people that weren't going to raise your hand, we need to pray the, the, the sinner's prayer for lying over you. But let me ask you this one. In, in, case, in case you let yourself off the hook there, how many of you have ever been irritated, even just a little bit annoyed, at what your child or grandchild did or did not get at Christmas? Especially when you gave their kid what they were asking for, and then they gave your kid a science book full of fish. I don't even know us... That was a real gift, y'all. Don't give a seven-year-old a science book full of fish. If you're going to give a science book, don't give it, okay? Just give them a hug or something. Give them a $5 bill. Say, like, hey, go give yourself something exciting. Buy yourself a Happy Meal or something. <laughs> if you've ever been offended or irritated or angered by any of those things, listen, listen. In that moment, you made Christmas about gifts. In that moment, you allowed your attitude to be affected not by an eternal God, but by a temporary item or an individual. And scripture would define that as an idol. We have to be careful that we don't give ourselves more credit than we deserve. We have to be careful that we put fantasy in its proper place, that we institute faith as we should, that we don't make Christmas about gifts and lights because Christmas is not finally, it's not about commercialism, it's not about overspending. It's not about putting yourself in debt come January 1. It's not about decorations, although I like decorations. It's not about the lights that my wife guilts me into putting up through my kids every year, beginning two weeks before Thanksgiving. It's not about parties, and it's certainly not about stress. And yet we have taken God's promise fulfilled and we have made it about all of those things. Now, are those things evil? No. Hey, guys, listen. I like being a part of a healthy economy. And a healthy economy exists when free market is, uh, is, inact is active and people are buying and spending. That's not, a, that's not an evil thing. It's actually what makes our nation our nation. So commercialism in and of itself is not demonic. I don't mind spending money and, and buying my children gifts and buying other people's children's gifts. I think it's kind of stupid whenever I put $20 in a card, give it to somebody, they give me a card that has $20 in it. I mean, we just exchanged 20 bucks. We could have just said that ahead of time. But gifts and fantasy and commercialism and overspending and parties, and, and man, we get so stressed out over, during this time of the year trying to make everything just perfect. When ain't none of us been perfect for the last 364 days, I don't know why we try striving for perfection all of a sudden on Christmas Day. We get angry, we get irritated, we will damage relationship with people that we love over things that don't matter and call it Christmas. Listen, listen, listen. Christmas is about faith. Christmas is about family. Christmas is the time of the year where we as a church celebrate the love of God revealed through his son. Christmas is the spirit of giving when God gave his only begotten. Christmas is a celebration of a 2,000-year-old promise come out of the house of David. It's a celebration of a 700-year-old prophecy come from the mouth of Isaiah. It is a celebration of 400 years of 
silence being broken in an instant when an angel announced that the virgin had given birth from the house of David in the city of Bethlehem. Christmas is, number one, about faith. It's the reason that Christmas exists. And I'm going to get into this a little bit more next week. Just the difference between the enemy and evil and then opportunity and how we as a church should even view this holiday, much less some of the specifics of this time. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 13. Luke chapter 2. This is a great place to go, by the way, if you want to establish a tradition on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day with your family. This is a great place to turn, Luke chapter 2, and just read the Christmas story. Verse 13, here's what it says. Suddenly, after 2,000 years of unfulfilled promise, after 700 years of unfulfilled prophecy, after 400 years of silence, the scripture says, suddenly. And that's why it emphasizes this the way that it emphasizes. The angel was joined by a vast host of other angels. Can you see this? Imagine this with me. The, the armies of heaven were praising God and saying, hey, by the way, that's the best weapon that you have against the enemy is when you join with heaven's armies in a battle cry of praise over your house and over your situation. That's just for you, second service. That's for you waiting and me making adjustments in the meantime. But that is the best weapon that we have is when we unite with the armies of heaven and we begin to praise God in a way that they do. And verse 14 says, this is what they say, glory to God in the highest heaven. I dare you the next time something irritates you, frustrates you, gives you anxiety, causes you fear. I dare you to join with the angels and the armies of heaven and say, you know what? I'm going to cast this thing off. I'm not giving this thing credit. I'm going to glorify God in the highest heavens. I sing with the angels today. Oh, come let us adore him. I say, God, I know you're faithful and I get my faith because of your faithfulness. I will follow you in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the darkness and no thing and nobody is going to knock me off track. I'm joining heaven's army today to praise with the angels, singing glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth inside of my heart. I rebuke stress and anxiety in Jesus' name. I rebuke worry and fear in Jesus' name. I rebuke sickness and darkness in Jesus' name. I replace it with glory and peace and join with the angels in heaven to see this thing the way that God sees this thing with whom God is pleased. Verse 15, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go do something about what we just saw. Let's go share our story. You know what I love about the, the story that Rachel told? It's just the purity in her personal testimony. I don't care what you think about prosperity or giving or getting or receiving, the simplicity of the prayer, just a simple little heart from a broken mama left to raise a child on her own. Lord, I'd really like a, I just really like a gold bracelet. And God cares enough about the small things just to take an opportunity to say, hey girl, I see you. You may have been left and forsaken by him, but you hadn't been left and forsaken by me. I got better things. The best is yet to come no matter what position you currently stand in. I love 
the value and the purity of a personal testimony. And that's what these shepherds did. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Verse 16, so they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone. The shepherds told everyone. They didn't get mad at everybody that wasn't there. Come on, somebody. They didn't get irritated about the people said they were going to come that didn't. They just went and told everybody, if you'd have been there, here's what you would have seen. What they did was they whet the appetite of the person that had a God-sized void inside of them. They said, because I've experienced this, it's impacted me this way, and if you'll come with me, you can experience the same. The shepherds went from that place, and they shared what they saw. They told everyone that had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child, verse 18, and all who heard every single individual whose ears came across the shepherd's mouth all who heard the shepherd's story because people can argue with your scripture and people can argue with your practice but people can't argue with your story they can't argue with your personal testimony when you've walked through the fire and you get to the other side and Jesus healed the burn and you show your arm to somebody that knows that you should have been cut and you should have quit but you stood fast in the fire because you knew you who you stood with. That's what happened in the essence of this story that the shepherds said, we have experienced something that has impacted us and therefore we have influence with you. Everybody that heard the shepherd's story was astonished. Let me ask you this question. Do you have the influence that you desire to have with the people that you care about? Okay, listen, listen. This is not condemnation. This is personal evaluation. Because condemnation is something that you can't do anything about. That's what condemnation is. It's when the enemy shows you something that is outside of your control, and then he holds you back with it. This is conviction. What is conviction? Conviction is when the Holy Spirit shows you something that you take to the foot of the cross, and you know that you can change in Jesus' name. That's what conviction is. So let me ask you this question. Do you have the influence? Do we have the influence? Do I have the influence with the people that I care about that I desire to have? Because the scripture said that when the shepherds were impacted, it affected their influence. And so what I want to challenge you with today is not that you would be condemned over your lack of influence, but that you would go back and evaluate the impact of your encounter with Jesus. Because when you encounter Jesus and experience the presence of God the way that they did, you're impacted by it and your influence with that person affects them in the same manner in which your encounter affected you. And that's who we are. So we don't get offended. We don't get irritated. We don't fight for our rights and fight for our victory. We stand firm in the faith knowing that the victory has already been won. And all I have to do is share it with you. That's who we are because we stand in Him. That's who we are, listen, listen, because of whose we are. That's what Christmas is all. Give Him praise. Come on, it's not for me. Y'all are getting the best part of this sermon. First service got left out, I'm telling you. 
Number two, Christmas. Christmas is, it's about giving. That's what Christmas is about. Remember I told you a minute ago, for God so loved the world that he gave. And that's our celebration, that God gave his only son. 400 years of silence were broken. 700 years of prophecy fulfilled. 2,000 years of a promise finally come to pass. All wrapped up in the essence of God's spirit giving. So if we don't have a heart that's in line with giving, we need to evaluate whether our heart is in line with his. Christmas is about giving. It's not about what we want, what we didn't get, what we did get. There's nothing wrong with those things. I like nice things. I, I try to wear nice things. I, I try to keep nice things nice. I have four enemies of that in my house, but I try to keep them nice. I really do. I try. A three, baby. I'm sorry. I mean, <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking She cleans up after me more than most people. Anyways, it's not about what we want. It's not about what we want. Listen, listen, listen. Christmas is about who God gave and why he gave him. That's what Christmas is truly about. I have a, a pastor who's left an impression on me. He, he wrote a book. You may, some of you may not like the title of this book. Uh, I think he did it to just get the attention of uh, people that he knew it would irritate because that's kind of just how he is. But he wrote a book, and I'm reading this book right now, and, and you can buy the book and read it for yourself, but we've got a quick video just to kind of illustrate this point behind the spirit of giving. Watch this. I want to thank you for letting me have just a moment of your life to talk to you a little bit about Christmas traditions. I remember growing up as a little boy, my dad, Bob Davis, would always cook peanut brittle, and he became so famous for his peanut brittle, people all over the country began to wait for their Christmas peanut brittle from Bob Davis. I can tell you that he lives in Texas, but every year in Nashville, Tennessee, the pastoral staff and some of our senior adults of this church wait on their bag of peanut brittle from my dad, Bob Davis. My mother had a tradition. She would take a coconut and paint a face on it and stick it under the Christmas tree and tell us it was an angry possum. The possum was there to discourage kids from opening presents and sneaking around when mom and dad weren't in the room because we were afraid of the old possum under the tree. You know, growing up, there were a lot of things that were traditional for us. The Christmas family dinner was a big deal. And down through the years, that's morphed as Gail and I've had our triplets and get Dylan, our four children, to where every year at Christmas, on Christmas Day, I eat dinner with the rest of the family, the turkey and the dressing and the green beans and the corn and the casseroles and the mashed potatoes and the hot rolls and the deviled eggs. And then we slide into the pumpkin pie and the pecan pie and the custard pie with whipped cream on top. But then my aunt makes me my very own custard pie that every Christmas evening I eat that all by myself. And that's kind of my tradition on Christmas Eve. We always celebrate Christmas by going to our candlelight communion service at Cornerstone and putting Jesus right where he belongs at the center of Christmas. One of the things I've done for years at Christmas is I've shared a story with the people of Cornerstone Church of why I believe in Santa Claus. One of the most incredible stories in Christendom is the story of St. Nicholas. I've been shocked as I've traveled around the world in India and Thailand, Buddhist countries, communist countries, Perm, Russia, uh, to discover that people don't know who Jesus is. They don't know who Paul is. They don't know who Peter is. But everybody knows who Santa Claus is. That's why I decided to make sure I tell the story and write the story of why I believe in Santa Claus. 
I hope your Christmas traditions all end up on the fundamental truth that God sent His Son into the world so you and I could be saved. So listen, yeah, go ahead. Give God praise for that. I don't know where you stand on that, and I'm not trying to convince you one way or another today. What I am trying to do is I really, I'm actually offended, okay, that I allowed in my heart and even in my home, in some of my relationships, I allowed the world's definition of this character to dictate how I felt about a character that was originated from a man who represented Jesus. Nicholas was a man that was born in, in, in Greece in the, around the third, end of second century, beginning of the third century. And this man, who was very rich in wealth, became orphaned at an early age, and his uncle was a bishop in the church. These were Christians. They were believers. And Nicholas became someone who would be persecuted for his faith and even imprisoned during Diocletian's reign. He would be one who would sacrifice much and even be willing to be martyred for his faith during this time. It is his heart that would create this character that Coca-Cola robbed and put on a, on a can. It is his heart, this man's heart, who was a man likened unto David after God's own heart that understood the spirit of giving. Listen to this from Pastor Maury Davis's book, The Story of a Man, The Story of Nicholas's Life, Born to Plenty but Orphaned to an Incredible Life of Servanthood. Nicholas learned the secrets to giving by leaving treasures in the stillness of a night for children who would not have otherwise had them. Known as the kind bishop, the Christ kind, known as center class, known as eventually Santa Claus. He is the manifestation of the spirit of giving that inspires us each holiday season to bless others outside of ourselves. The message to this ministry is that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And the key to this blessing in abundance and joy is found in God's word and modeled in Nicholas's life. God wants us to give cheerfully, secretly, worshipfully, and fearlessly in absolute faith that he will meet all of our needs just as we strive to meet the needs of others. The master Jesus himself, the ultimate gift sent to a dying world, paid the price for our sins, and Jesus lived a life of compassion, consistently showing his followers that blessings lie in what you are willing to give. Blessings lie in what you are willing to give. It's more than the reason for the season. Jesus' generosity and instruction are the heart of a life well lived. So as a church, we have the opportunity to leverage all of the things that the earth and the world have maybe even unintentionally redefined and claimed as their own. Listen, I, as a man of God, am bringing Christmas back into the house of God because that's where it came from. I'm not going to be offended by what people do or do not believe about the season that I get to celebrate because of the Savior that I 
met. I am going to use that innocence, use that imagination, use that character if I have to, to point everything back to the one that the Spirit of God sent in the form of man. I will leverage that and I will show my children, my family, I will even remind my own heart who he represents and why. Nicholas understood the spirit of Christ coming to earth in the form of a man. So in a world obsessed with getting and gifts and spending and keeping up, we refocus our heart back to the primary purpose remembered in the words of Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And that's who that character represents. And that is a part of what Christmas is all about. Finally, in closing this morning, above all else, and I know that you know this, but I want you to evaluate today, is it in your practices? Is this in your traditions? Let's start here. Christmas is about Jesus. It really is that simple. Christmas is about Jesus, that God came in the form of a man. But listen, does your heart truly believe that the next 23 days are all about Jesus? Does your heart truly believe that the following 364 days are truly about Jesus? Listen, listen, listen. If you truly believe that this whole thing is about Jesus, then it will affect your heart. If you truly believe this whole thing is about Jesus, then it will affect your habits. If you truly believe that this whole thing is about Jesus, ultimately, it will affect your house. And anybody and everybody that comes near it. Is my encounter with Jesus impactful enough in me that it's influencing others through me? I know we say, we, oh yeah, Christmas is about Jesus. We say it, but do we show it? Let me present to you this morning that if Christmas was truly about Jesus, and Christmas had always truly been about Jesus, then our nation would not have the definition of Christmas that they created. It's when people have no vision, the leadership loses its vision, that people begin to cast off restraint and redefine it. It's time for the house of God to quit shouting on a soapbox and start kneeling in the altar. It's time for the people of God to stop worrying about what we're getting from our government, what we're getting from our city, and begin to redefine our focus that Christmas and this season is about the fact that God 
sent his only begotten son, and whomever believes in him shall inherit eternal life. And we are the light in the darkness that goes in and gives in this city. We are the light in the darkness that goes in and restores the relationship in our family. We are the light in the darkness that is the promise that points to the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it leads to the revelation, not just that Jesus came, but that he's coming back. He may have been in a manger as a humble babe, but he's coming back as a conquering king. And I stand in the gap as a representation of Jesus Christ, the one who was and is and shall forever be. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. Christmas is about my king. That's what it's about. And when we remember that, when we remember that, it takes this. And the Spirit of God comes alive in us and changes us. Our perspective, our habits, and anyone and everyone that he puts in our path to be influenced by our house. The servant's heart come alive in the body of Christ. Christmas is just about Jesus. Father, right now I pray every follower of Christ in the room that we would make an examination beginning today, December 2nd, and leading up certainly to December 25th, but in Jesus' name, going beyond that into January 1st in 2019. Do the habits in our house reflect the heart of God? Do our emotions and our relationships, do they affect others the way that you would have them to be affected? God, right now, I pray that you would help us. Right where we sit with nobody looking around, talking about the believers right now. And maybe even somebody that came in here today struggling with your faith. I want you to identify just two things. Nobody looking around. Just ask the Holy Spirit. God, show me two things that I can do this year that would point Christmas back to you in my house. That would point Christmas back to you in my heart. Not to make me super spiritual or unrelatable. God, to show that I care and that I truly believe that this whole thing is about the fulfillment of a promise that points to a purpose. God, right now, I pray that we would offer forgiveness on December 2nd. I pray that we would stop harnessing hardness in our hearts towards others. God, I rebuke bitterness right now that may reside in the relationships of people that believe in you. Right now, I pray that you would set us free. 
freely we have received, God, may we freely give. God, may we identify anything right now that's in our lives, in our heart, maybe even in our attitudes that does not represent wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask, is there anybody in here today that you know that your life does not represent Jesus because you wonder whether he's even in your life? Maybe you sit there today and, and you know if you were to evaluate my life last week, it did not represent someone who was following Jesus and had confessed him as Lord. I want to offer you an opportunity right now to verbally change that. See, we believe in this church that God sent his only son. That was his gift to humanity who constantly failed, who constantly fell short. And Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. And he gave that perfect and sinless life on a cross and when he died, the judgment and the wrath of God was poured out upon him. But three days later, he was resurrected. So that in him, we too could be reborn and have new life. I want to offer that as an invitation to you right now. Whether you're watching online or sitting in the sanctuary with us. If you've never received Jesus, if you've never received salvation, or maybe you know that you need to rededicate your heart and you need to confess him as Lord right now. I want you to lift your hand right where you sit just as a sign of obedience to Jesus, obedience to the Spirit. Lord, that's me. I need to recommit my life to you. I need to receive salvation. Thank you. I see you. Anyone else? The Holy Spirit sees you. I see you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Online, we're believing with you. I promised the Lord, God help me. I'd never end a sermon without giving an opportunity to receive salvation. Because we believe, according to scripture, that receiving salvation is as simple as a confession. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. Church, I want to ask you to join your faith with those who have raised their hand, and even those who have not. But I want you to verbally, out loud, pray this prayer of confession and repentance, this prayer of salvation with me. Come on, let's pray together. Jesus, forgive me where I fall short. Save me. Cleanse me. And help me to be an example for you. May I follow you with all of my heart. From this day forward, take my life and make it yours. I believe you came and you're coming back. You died on a cross and you were raised from the dead. And because I believe, I'm free in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, can you give him praise in his house today?